yet, God, that we would be aware of false teachers in our day. And not only that we would be aware of them, that you would protect our hearts, but that you would make us warriors to contend for the faith once and for all delivered to the saints. That we would speak up against the ravenous wolves and the false teaching that is so prevalent in our day. So, dear God, we pray as we open up your holy and precious word that you would just speak through your servant to your people. That we would be formed more and more into your likeness. So, God, we pray that as we come together on Sunday night, that this is not just another time for us to, to hear your word. But, God, that there's something far greater. God, that we are entering into your presence. That we as your people are showing our devotion to you. That right now that we are testifying to the, to the rulers and to the authorities in the heavenly places that we trust in Christ. So, God, I pray that our hearts and our attitudes would be fixed upon your glory. That we would humbly submit to your word. Let this word fall upon fertile ground. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Uh, so we're, we're looking at Jude's book. Now, Jude, if you remember, is, a, uh, is the half-brother of Jesus. And he begins his gospel in verse, or begins this, his epistle, uh, talking about how this, this epistle is to those who have been called by God and who are kept by Jesus Christ. This idea, what Jude is saying, is this, this book is written to those who are believers in the church who are God is going to, who God saved, and who God is going to keep until the last day. And then he charges those saints who regularly come and hear the word. He says, uh, verse 3, Beloved, although I was eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. So those of you who have been a lifelong Christian, who have been in churches uh, for, for years, have heard sermon after sermon after sermon, many of you are not the, the main audience, although that you may be. Uh, sometimes we think about that the, the warnings are, are primarily for us, and we hear that in our own, in our own thinking, that when we hear um, the things in, in the scriptures, that it always applies directly to our life. And I think that's a good place to start. Sometimes we hear the word, and we immediately want to, want to absorb it. What does this mean for me personally? But we also have to understand that this word that we are being built up in is not only for you. It's for the people that are in your life. It's for your children, if you have children in the home. It's for your, your spouses. It's for your, your coworkers. It's for your, your parents and your grandparents and your grandchildren. You are being built up in the faith so that you can be warriors to contend for the faith. Because there are people who are not connected to a body, who are not connected to the solid truth of God's word, have been pulled away to believe false teachers. And we know that false teachers are rampant in our day. So when, when we're looking at this, I want to make sure that you understand that don't just say, okay, I got this, I'm going to check out. Well, no, God may be speaking to you that you don't get pulled away. But he also may be wanting to equip you because there may be people in your life that are being pulled away and under the guise of false teaching that you need to, to pull them back to the truth of God's word. That's what it means to contend for the faith once and for all delivered to the saints. And that was a lot more passionate than I wanted to start my sermon. But honestly, guys, this is how serious things are. Right? We live in a day where false teachers abound and we really need to get after it. So last week what we looked at is the reminder of God's judgment of past sins. So just a quick review. Look at verses 5 through 7. Jude says, now I want to remind you, although you once fully knew it, and now Jesus, who saved the people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed those who did not believe. So these people who saw all, the, all these mighty works of God, um, and then 
they, they got right to the promised land. They did not really believe in God. And it goes on all these, these past ways that God has judged previous saints. Verse 6. And the angels who did not stay within their own position of authority, but left their proper dwelling, he has kept in eternal chains under gloomy darkness into the judgment of the great day. Thinking about Genesis 6. Even angels who did not understand their boundary lines, God sent them to be uh, chained eternally. So you have the people of Israel who saw God's mighty works in the plagues, God's mighty works in the, in the tenth and final plague, God's mighty work in, in parting of the Red Sea, God's mighty work in feeding them from food from the sky and, and water from a rock. They got to the promised land and did not believe and were, were cut off or shut out of the kingdom of heaven eternally. Hebrews 3 talks about that. And then you see angels, the ones who saw God in all his, his glory in heaven. They know his, his e- e- eternality. They know his perfection. And even they were punished. And then we see in verse 7, just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding cities, which likewise indulged in sexual immorality and pursued unnatural desire, probably speaking of homosexuality there, serve as an example by undergoing a punishment of eternal fire. So that's an example to everybody who believes that they can walk away from Christ and be okay. So that's, that's an example for us that we would be kept, okay? That we would, we would walk with Christ. But listen, that's an example also for those who are outside the faith, those who have walked away from, from Christ, or those who are subjecting themselves to false teaching, that that warning is also to them, and if we care about them, we must pursue them. We must engage with them in the hope that we would rescue them from their waywardness, to bring them back to, the, to a true faith in Christ. So God says, listen, I want to remind you that I, I, I've, I've judged sinners in the past, and now he wants to speak directly to the present time. I want to remind you of God's judgment on present sins. Present sins. Look at verse 8. We're going to anchor here tonight. Yet, in like manner, these people also. So he's making a connection right to, to uh, very, these people are on the same lines of angels who didn't understand um, God's boundary lines. These people are just like Sodom and Gomorrah, who, who lived in sexual immorality and craved unnatural desires. Uh, these people are, are those who saw God's mighty works and yet walked away and did not believe. These people also... Relying on their dreams, defile the flesh, reject authority, and blaspheme the glorious ones. These are more just kind of general uh, statements. Uh, the, the, the false teachers here probably would do more, but I think that what, what, what Jude is trying to get at is they were relying on dreams, meaning that their authority was not God's word, but it was things that they were revealed to them, or they say that were revealed to them personally. And this is the, the, the beauty of us as, as Christians. We believe in a book that's grounded in history. We believe in real events, the, that Israel really was in captivity to Egypt, that Jesus Christ lit, really, really was from Nazareth, really did die on a cross, and really did raise from the dead. We believe that it happened in history. A lot of the other religions that are, that are popular today, Mormonism and and Islam, for example, all started because they, they relied on dreams or the revelation of, of God to one particular person in time. So this, this idea that we, we bank our faith on, on God's word, but as our God, God's word has been revealed 
in history over thousands of years. And most of other these, these false religions that prop, prop up are those who, who anchor on, on, on the dreams and revelation of one person. How can you deny what, what was revealed to me? So they would say. Well, we're not arguing with what was revealed to you, but we know what God says in his scriptures. But these false teachers were probably coming into the churches and saying, God has shown me. And then relying on that. And honestly, that is a very a dangerous thing for us to say, isn't it? <clears throat> now, does God, <clears throat> excuse me, does God show us things? Yes, he shows us all the time. The Holy Spirit is still alive and active. He reveals things in his word. Does God still speak in dreams? Yes. Does God still speak in visions? Yes, he does those things. But we base our dreams and our visions based on what? We filter them through the, the scriptures. We don't rely on our dreams and our visions or what the things that the impressions that God lays upon our heart. We trust in God's holy word. And that's what we anchor our lives on. These false teachers were relying on their, their dreams. And really they were relying on these dreams to excuse their behavior. As you, as you kind of work through this text, what you notice about these false teachers is that they lived uh, in sexual morality. They, they lived defiling the flesh. That's the, that's the kind of language here. And they, they, they did that in... Because they excused it with their, with their dreams. Well, God said this to me. Therefore, I can do whatever I want. And notice right here in that, in that third comma, it says, they reject authority. I have been, over the last three years, I have seen this more and more in, in Scripture. This idea of rejecting authority, being really anti-Christ and anti-God. There is this beauty when we understand that God does not allow anyone to rule other than he who has set in that place. So God places kings and um, princes in their proper places. God places governors there. God puts pastors in their position. God raises up teachers. God puts principals in, in their position. God is the one who's in charge of authority. And what you see happening more and more in our day is this rejection of authority. You know, we don't have to listen to our government. We don't have to listen to our, our, our teachers. We don't have to listen to our, our preachers, our pastors. There's this anti-authority that is kind of welling up in America. And really what has happened is there's been a, a subset of, of Christians who've just left the church. That we don't have to listen to and submit ourselves to anybody or submit ourselves to any authority. Well, these leaders here... We're rejecting the authority, rejecting the authority of God, probably rejecting the authority of the leaders of the day, probably political leaders, but also rejecting the authority of the church, that the, that the church elders had no right to speak over them. You see that all throughout the scriptures, how you handle authority is a sign of whether you trust in the Lord or not. <clears throat> and the next line, it says, and they blaspheme the glorious ones. That they speak negatively, probably against angels, not just glorious ones as in angels that are, are uh, serving God, ministering spirits there to help us, but probably also demonic spirits. Uh, angels are, are, are demons. So what, what, what this would mean is, 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 for example, this. These are the kind of people that would speak against and um, slander regional spirits. Or they would go into a place, we pray against the spirit of deception. We, we pray or we, we, we slander, we, we rebuke um, 
Satan out of this place. We rebuke uh, the sin of, uh, or the, the demon of laziness, right? People do this, right? I don't necessarily think that that is a wise practice. I don't find it a, a particularly biblical one. But people think that sometimes before you can make an impact in, in certain regions, especially in mission work, that we need to go there and we need to, to rebuke and blaspheme, speak against, fall, accuse the, the regional demonic spirits of an area. Those of you who have served overseas may, maybe can share more of that. Well, and what, what, what Jude is trying to say is that these people have so much pride and arrogance that they think they have the right to do that. That they individually have the right to speak against those things. We'll look at verses 9 and 10. <clears throat> he kind of gives a specific example here. But when the archangel Michael, contending with the devil, was disputing about the body of Moses, he did not presume to pronounce a blasphemous judgment, but said, the Lord rebuke you. But these people blaspheme all that they do not understand, and they are destroyed by all that they, like unreasoning animals, understand instinctively. Uh, so if you, if you read four or five different commentaries, you're probably going to find four or five different answers when it comes to a text like this. Um, so here's what's happening here. This is probably the only time in Scripture that you, you see this kind of, kind of language. So it says that when the archangel Michael was contending with the devil, there is two um, books. One is called the, the Testament of Moses, and one is called the Assumption of Moses. So when we have the Bible, we have the canonized Bible, books that were written by, by prophets and apostles that were, were collected and viewed as Holy Scriptures. There's other books that were written by prophets and apostles that did not make it in to our Holy Scriptures. They didn't make it because they, were, they weren't trusted. They had some things in there that were different from other books. Uh, they, had, they questioned maybe the source. If you remember in, when we were looking at uh, 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, it said that there are some who, who are writing letters claiming to be from us that they, they communicated via letter, and that some people were writing false letters in their name. So, for whatever the reason, Jude decides to quote the testimony, the testament of Moses. They don't know if it's the testament of Moses here or the, the assumption of Moses, where exactly it's quoted. But what's happening there is um, they, they think that Moses' body is not buried. Um, it says in the book of Deuteronomy, that Moses' body was buried, very clearly. And yet, no one really knew where that burial place was. So some would say that the devil um, took the body of Moses, uh, that the devil uh, accused Moses of not being a true believer, a true follower of God, because of his murder of an Egyptian. Um, so you see this, this debate happening in that book between the, the archangel Michael, who's a prominent figure, the, the, the one angel that we know, spoke, spoken of in Daniel and Revelation, the archangel Michael was contending with the devil, was disputing about the body of Moses. And then it kind of highlights um, Michael here. Michael, the archangel, did not presume to pronounce a blasphemous judgment. So 
the archangel Michael, the one who is understands God's glory, uh, the leader among the angels, he did not feel it right to speak against the devil. Did he have every right to speak against the devil? Yes, the devil is evil, the devil is wicked. But he, being a, a, a one who is understanding authority of the Lord's, knowing that he, even as the, the glorious archangel of God, was still one who was under authority. And he did not consider it his right to pronounce blasphemous judgment. But what did he say? The Lord rebuke you. So in the book of, of Zechariah, I think the book of Zechariah is one of the hardest books to interpret. <laughs> when I was preaching on uh, Wednesday night, kind of doing, going through the Minor Prophets, I, it was, I really enjoyed it. I learned a ton preaching the Minor Prophets. And I got to Zechariah, and I read it like three times, and I just went, what? In the world does this mean? There's so much illusion and apocalyptic language. And uh, in Zechariah 3 is the only other time we see that language, the Lord rebuke you. And in Zechariah 3, it says that Joshua, the high priest, was accused by Satan. There was an accusation that Satan was going against Joshua, the high priest. And the text says that the angel said, the Lord rebuke you. And in that rebuke, it goes on the very next uh, few verses after that rebuke, it says that Joshua had filthy garments. And the angel came and took his filthy garments and gave him clean garments. This this one who was filthy was forgiven of his, his filth and he was made clean. Well, that starts to make sense when we think about the accusation that Satan throws against us. Satan oftentimes accuses the saints. That's part of his name. He is the accuser. So in here, Jude is saying that, Mo, that um, Satan was accusing Moses, a saint of God, for, for his sin against the Egyptian. And how many times does, does Satan accuse us? Where we feel weighed down, reminded of all our, our past mistakes. Or we, all, all, our, all the sin in, in, our, in our life. These accusations, that, that these fiery darts that, that fly out of his, his mouth and, and try to find us, to, to hold us down, to weigh us down, to think that you can't serve God because of your sin. Why do you think you could serve God? You're a sinner. Don't you remember what you thought last week? I mean, as a pastor, I feel this pressure. You know, every week, I, I know that my character as a pastor is important for when I declare God's word. And I know that there are, there are weeks where I don't feel that I've lived the life that God would have me live. Maybe I, I struggled with a particular sin or I, I, I said I was going to do something and I didn't follow through and I, I just kind of have a, I don't have a clean conscience. You, you know that feeling when you don't have a clean conscience. It's hard to sleep and you're, you're, you're just kind of wrestling with that. And then I have to, you know, I've confessed that to the Lord, but there are times when the, that accusation comes, what makes you think you can talk to God's people? On what, if, on what basis can you get up and, and speak to God's people? There's these accusations that fly at us. And what we need to be reminded of is, yes, I'm a sinner, but I have been made clean. I have been made clean. Why? Because God is the one who condemns. And God will no longer condemn me because there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Jesus Christ has has forgiven my sin. He has cleansed me. So the reason why I can stand up is not on any authority of myself, but in the authority of God and his word and the power of forgiveness offered in Jesus Christ. The reason why you can go to your jobs, the reason why you can do, do ministries because of the power of God 
offering you forgiveness as a former sinner who has become a saint by believing in Jesus Christ. And that's what I think Jude is, is getting at here. He's talking about that idea. Um, the Lord rebuke you. Verse 10, but these people blaspheme all that they do not understand. Just think about how much we don't understand about the, de- de- the de- demonic world. I mean, there are, there's a spiritual realm, isn't there? Right? There's a spiritual realm, heaven, uh, angels and authorities. There's, there's, there's angels and there's demons. That is just reality. Now, we don't often want to talk about it because we don't always understand it. And these false teachers didn't understand it, and they still felt the right to speak against it. Like an animal, it says. And what is Jude's response? It says, woe to them. And then it gives them three comparisons of individuals in the Old Testament. So we kind of know our audience has, has familiarity with the Old Testament. It says, for they walked in the way of Cain. You know, remember the, what Cain did? Cain rose up and slayed his brother, being greedy and jealous for Abel's sacrifice being accepted by God and murderously slandered and killed his, his brother and abandoned themselves for the sake of, of, of gain to Balaam's heir. Balaam was one who said prophecy to the people in order to get money. So he said things that people wanted to hear so that they would pay him well. Man, I cannot think of any people in America that say what people want to hear so that they would be paid well. Can you think of anybody in America that that happens to? The, the, the sin of Balaam's heir living for greed and monetary reimbursement is still around today. Paul even warned about this in, in uh, first, uh, 2 Timothy 4. He says that there's going to come teachers who... Uh, or there's going to come people who are going to gather for themselves teachers who, who tell them what they're, they're, they want to hear. So they, they tickle the ears, leading them away from, from truth and sound doctrine. And that is a very real thing. And that, that, that's, not, that, that's a very real thing, not just for um, pastors who are in megachurches who, who preach a prosperity gospel. That's a challenge for, for pastors in small towns in small churches like ours. Am I going to say things that are going to keep the people who give the most the happiest? If I say the things that are going to keep the people who give the most the happiest, I am submitting Balaam's heir. I'm living for greed because I don't want to be fired. And I don't want those people to leave and not support our church. The bottom line is, is we speak God's truth regardless of who likes it or not. Even if an angel from heaven speaks a different gospel, Paul says, let them be condemned. We have one gospel, the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, and there is a right way to live according to that gospel. So we see Cain, we see Balaam, and then we see Korah. And perished in Korah's rebellion. If you think that I keep on harping on this idea of authority a lot, read number 16. Read about Korah's rebellion. Korah did not like Moses and Aaron's leadership. So you know what he did? They got a bunch of people and they, they said, hey, we need to get Moses and Aaron 
outside of the, the position of leadership. We need to take over. <clears throat> and just read what God did in response to that. It is not a pretty picture. So you see, you see jealousy of these leaders. You see greed. And now you see um, a lack of respect for authority. And these false teachers were all happening, all dealing with these things. Then he gives more analogies. He says, these are hidden reefs at your love feast. You imagine you're in a boat and you're going into a bay. And you see the, this beautiful dock and this beautiful house upon the dock. And you're ready to, to land. And even on, this, on, on the grassy field, you see this, this beautiful tent And inside the tent, you see these tables with this wonderful food that you're rejoicing in. And as you're going to that beautiful place, your your boat hits a giant rock in the water. A a reef that was hidden that you did not see that caused destruction for your life. That's what he's saying here. At your communion feast, when you gather together, these people are like hidden reefs waiting to destroy your fellowship. As they feast with you without fear, they had a seared conscience. They were willing to sit with you and live in a way that is ungodly and not feel any remorse of it. It says shepherds feeding themselves. Uh, we saw this on Wednesday night, you know, Ezekiel 34, Jeremiah 23, these, these great um, woe passages that God calls out his shepherds for not feeding the sheep, not caring and protecting the flock but feeding only themselves. They cared about themselves and their, their wealth. We'll keep on going with these analogies. Verse, it says, sheep, uh, Shepherds feeding themselves, waterless clouds, swept along by winds, fruitless trees in late autumn, twice dead, uprooted. Wild waves of the sea casting up the foam of their own shame, wandering stars, so you see, all these, all these examples are really bad examples. You don't want to be a, a dead autumn tree. <laughs> you don't want to be a hidden reef. You want to be aware of these folks. Then it says, the, the reason, for, for whom the gloom of utter darkness has been reserved forever. Just pause for a moment. The gloom of utter darkness. Darkness is reserved forever. Speaking of hell there. A void of the presence of God. The absence of light. Utter darkness. I don't know about you, but if you've ever been in utter darkness, it's, it's terrifying. I mean, it's really terrifying. It's one thing to be in your own house in a comfortable surroundings, and you know exactly where things are. It's dark outside, and, you know, I was a kid. Uh, I don't know why I used to do this, but I used to try to get around my house with, without turning on lights at night just to see if I could not run into things. You couldn't see anything, but I'm just going to see if I can make it, you know. Well, can you imagine yourself at Chimney Rock or, um, you know, Stone Mountain, and you're outside in the middle of nowhere. You don't know where you are. It's pitch black, and your, your flashlight goes out. The, the clouds are covering up the stars. You don't see the moon. And you're in utter blackness. And then you hear some animal noises. You hear a rustle of the leaves. I'm sure you start getting scared. That's, the, that's what, what awaits those who, who follow these errors. 
who reject authority, who live for greed, and who live in sexual immorality. Listen, those are teachers. And what they're doing, they're trying to lure other people along those, those lines. Well, we go on to verse 14. Same line reminding uh, God's, of God's judgment on, on the present sins of these people. Warning them and warning us to, to contend for those who are following under their guise to, to pull them back to the truth. Verse 14. It was also about these that Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied. Uh, now, Enoch was, is another one of those books that is not in, even in a, an Apocrypha book. So there's books in the Catholic Bible that we don't have in our Protestant Bible. Um, those are what's called the Apocrypha, that they deem as scripture that we, we do not. Enoch was a, was a Jewish book that was viewed in many sites as inspirational. It was never viewed in Judaism, in Protestantism, in Catholicism as Holy Scripture. But even if it wasn't viewed as Holy Scripture, it was still used as, as inspirational, as things that told the truth, but maybe not on the same authority as God's Word. It says here that Adam, that Enoch prophesied. So we know that God can speak through people in a prophetic way that's not Scripture. So we know from uh, the book of Acts that women prophesied. And it says that God spoke through these women. Women prophesied in the gathering of the believers. So women did that in the, in, in the church. We don't know what they said. We don't know if it was canonized. Right? We know that it was, sorry, we know that it was not canonized. Here, Enoch spoke. It was written down. But it's not scripture. It may be from God like someone giving us a word that we need to hear, that we think that was a word from God. God spoke to me through that person. But it's not in the same par as Holy Scripture. You know, we also look at how, um, why did Jude choose to quote Enoch? Probably to frustrate pastors in the 21st century. Um, that's a joke. It's okay. Thank you. But we also know that Paul quotes several things in his writings. You know, he quoted um, in, in, to the Cretes, that he closed, quote, quoted one of their own prophets. He quoted in, in, in the First Corinthians. He quoted First uh, Corinthians 15, quoted the prophets of Corinth. When he was in Athens, he, he quoted the, 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 a certain po- poets in Athens. Every, every sermon that I preach, I probably quote something other than the Bible, you know, does that, does that mean that I affirm everything that person wrote? No. Last week I made a quote of John Stott. I thought John Stott gave an excellent example of the promise of Genesis 12, 1 through 3. But I don't agree with John Stott on a lot of things. When it, when his, his view of missions, for example, I don't agree with his view of hell. But I just quoted him. So if I, my sermon last week, if someone read my sermon last week, they would say, oh man, Pastor Dave, loves John Stott. I'm going to read everything by John Stott as the Word of God. Well, no. I was making an application. I think that's the same thing that Jude is doing here. So you can read the book of First Enoch. This is where he quotes it from. He says, <clears throat> prophesied saying, Behold, the Lord comes and 10,000 of his holy ones to execute judgment on all and to convict all the ungodly of their deeds of ungodliness that they have committed in such an ungodly way 
and of all the harsh things that ungodly sinners have spoken against him. So Jude may have used this text because this may may have been a book that the false teachers were quoting. And he was trying to, to bring it up to say, these guys are dead wrong. This book that they're quoting actually speaks directly against them. But the the idea here is that these false teachers are going to be repaid for their ungodly deeds. Uh, Paul says in 1 Timothy 5 that good deeds cannot remain hidden. So when you do good deeds, God will see them and they, they will not remain hidden forever. Good deeds, just like false deeds or sin, all sin will be exposed. One day, Jesus Christ will come and he will disclose all the secrets of men. This is why we want to live before the face of God. We want to live knowing that one day all the things that we do with our hands, with our feet, with our, with our eyes, all the things that we think about in our minds and, and feel in our hearts are going to one day be exposed. And if we live our lives... For sin, you are going to be judged for it. And then verse 16, which I think is a, is a very compelling verse for the 21st century. These people are grumblers, malcontents, following their own sinful desires. They are loudmouth boasters, showing favoritism to gain advantage. Let's just walk through these for a quick second. I know we're past time, but let's just kind of look at this very briefly. Grumblers. Don't be grumblers. <laughs> we don't want how fun is it to be around people who grumble all the time? Right? It just kind of saps the energy out of things. You know? And we all have different personalities, and some people have more upbeat personalities, and some people have, have personalities more grown to, to grumble, right? To see the, the glass half empty. You know, we all have that. But here, from God's word, those who are called grumblers are the the false teachers who follow greed and sexual immorality. We don't want to be grumblers. We want to be content with what God has given us. That's the next thing, malcontents. You know, we want to be content with all that God has given us, not looking at all that he hasn't. So me as a pastor, as I look outside this room, am I going to, going to rejoice that God brought you here tonight? Or am I going to be discontent and grumble that other people weren't here that should have been here? Grumble, malcontent, or thank God that he brought him here. That God wanted you to be here tonight for his glory. You and you alone, because God can ordain all things for whatever the reason. God knew that you needed this message, and that I needed you to be here so that I could preach this message to you. So that when I was reading this text and I was thinking about grumblers, I would look out there and I wouldn't see grumblers. (laughs) Right? I wouldn't see malcontents. That's what God does. You know, we want to make sure that we understand that we don't want to be grumblers and malcontents following their own evil, sinful desires. They did not want to follow God's will, God's word. They wanted to follow their own evil desires. They are loudmouth boasters, showing favoritism to gain advantage. Just think about how easy it is to show favoritism. This is what, what, what happened with Peter, right? Peter went to the, 
To the Gentiles, he was more like a Gentile. To the Jews, he was more like a Jew because he wanted to, to gain their favor. He wanted to show favoritism. But God shows no favoritism. God shows no partiality. We are all sinners. And the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ crosses all boasting out. We are all sinners and we all need a Savior. That's why Jesus Christ died and rose again, so that we could only boast in the Lord. We don't want to show favoritism to gain an advantage for us. We want to do what's right for God. And yet we, we live in a world that plays by different rules, don't we? We live in a world that oftentimes the loudmouth boasters are popular. And those who use favoritism to gain an advantage move up the chain at work. So be it. So be it. Let the world live by the world's rules. But as God's people, let us live by God's, people, by God's rules. Let us live in a way that would honor Him. So let us be content. Let us be joyful. Let us be thankful. You know, the, the, the root to not grumble, the secret of not grumbling and not being malcontents is really just to be thankful. So if you, if you have problems with being discontent, um, problems with, with anything in, in your life about grumbling, you know what you need to do? Just start being thankful. Just being thankful for all those opportunities. Me and my wife had a situation come up in our, in our, in our life recently, and we could immediately think of eight reasons why it was going to be awful. <laughs> and then we started being thankful. Well, we, we have this, and we have that. And we have this. And it, what it did to our hearts, it reminded us of all the Lord has done for us. And as God's people, we should always be willing to be thankful. Because we have so much to be thankful for. So we're going to look at the end in a couple of weeks, this idea of this, this perseverance. But just look at this book. These are some hard ideas. And thinking about the Testament of, of Moses, quoting First Enoch. But the principle is very simple, isn't it? That those who walk according to the flesh will perish. But those who live by the Spirit will inherit eternal life. So the question for us, and the question for those that we influence, is are we living in the flesh? And are we trying to protect those who are living in the flesh by coming with the, with the, with the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, contending for the faith, once and for all delivered to the saints? Let's pray. Father, I pray for my my friends here tonight, I pray, God, that you and your kindness uh, would protect us, protect us from false teachers, uh, protect us from sexual immorality, protect us from greed, uh, protect us from rejecting authority, protect us from grumbling and, and malcontentedness, uh, protect us from showing favoritism. And God, let us live in a way that honors you. So, God, let us contend with the faith, for the faith, once and for all, delivered to the saints, with our words and with our lives. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen.